Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale June 29th, 2022. I'm Ryan Patagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. And, Ryan, we have a guest host this week. What? Hi, everybody. I'm Connor Goldsmith, and I'm thrilled to be here. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing pretty good. Connor, where would folks know you from? I am the host of Cerebro, which is an X-Men podcast that tackles one character every week with a guest. We dig through their whole publication history, talk about why they matter both to the franchise, but also like on a broader level because the X-Men has all kinds of social politics allegories and such in it. Uh, It's a lot of fun. I just had Al Ewing on to talk about Abigail Brand, which was a real treat. I'm a big Al Ewing fan. Uh, And Al wanted to break the record. My show tends to run a little long. And Al was like, what if we did five hours? And I was like, I don't know if we can do five hours. Is there enough Abigail Brand, like, stories to cover five hours? TBH, like, we mostly talked about X-Men Red and and S.W.O.R.D. generally. And then, you know, but we also, we got through pretty much everything there is to talk about with Abigail Brand. Because, yeah, not a super major character, but he's making real moves with her in a way Mm -hmm. that is definitely, to me, the most interesting she's been. For sure. So it's clear that you're like an X-Men fan. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about where your fandom like started? Uh, sure. Where you got introduced to the X-Men? So I talked about this a little bit in my first Marvel credit, which just came out this week alongside Jasmine's. Congrats, yeah. Congrats to you too. Mazel to us. Um, we both have essays in the Marvel's Voices Pride 2021 trade paperback that just came out, which collects last year's Voices Pride issue and some other LGBT plus themed stories from throughout the year. Um, But in that, I talk about how my father is an X-Men collector, has been a collector since the 60s. So I grew up very enmeshed in it. I sometimes joke that it's my first language. Like I sometimes am lost for words in English, but not in X-Men, right? Because I can just keep going uh, ad nauseum. (laughs) By day, I am a literary agent. I spend a lot of my time working on this podcast. And if people want to check it out, if they haven't yet, they can go to Cerebrocast.com. I like listen to the episodes where I'm like, I don't know who this character is, but like, let me get a quick Wikipedia deep dive on this character. I'm here for it. Um, But we're not going to be talking just about X-Men this week because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics. We're going to talk about all the new issues hitting you this week. We're going to give our picks of the week. Then we're going to give out awards. We're going to tell you what's hitting Marvel Unlimited, both the issues hitting the service that released three months ago, as well as new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited. We're going to tell you what is new in the collections front so that you can spend all your money on probably an omnibus or two. And then we're going to get into a reading club jasmine who's our guest this week we are talking to steve fox who is the author of x-men 92 uh house of x 92 and we're going to be talking about two issues of generation x that are very jubilee centric uh which is really fun uh especially as someone who didn't really know a whole lot about jubilee or hasn't read a lot of individual stories Mm -hmm. um, starring jubilee so really excited to get to that it's definitely a nice spotlight story for her in the middle of Operation Zero Tolerance, a very confusing storyline. So we'll try to ease you in when we jump in right in the middle. <laughs> for sure. But before we get into any of that stuff, I just wanted to take a moment and say that we last week we lost a member of the Marvel family. And uh, he was a it was a friend of mine. His name was Mike Pesciulo. You probably saw posts about it from a lot of Marvel people. We posted about it on, on all the Marvel channels and the website. Mike was amazing. 
He was uh, a 6'4", 6'5", bear of a man, but the big warmest hugs, and he was uh, always friendly. If you had been to a Marvel booth at San Diego or New York or a lot of other conventions in the last 20 years, you probably saw Mike there. He probably helped you out, did something, gave you something, answered a question, put the booth together, or did something to make your experience special. He worked in marketing. He worked for the TV side of things, the film side of things, the the comic side of things. Every part of Marvel um, had something that Mike contributed to it for a very long time. Um, he started working on trading cards back in the 90s, and uh, his passing has affected a lot of us in really um, devastating ways. I got had phone calls and, and conversations with friends that I hadn't talked to in a while because we were just talking about Mike and uh, we miss Mike and uh, it's going to be real tough without him, but we, we track on because he'd be pissed off if we didn't. Um, so um, yeah, we miss you, Mike. Definitely. You're so young. It's horrible. Yeah. All right. Enough of that sad stuff. Mike would like us to keep moving on, play some NSYNC, and talk about <laughs> some picks of the week. Believe me, he loved his NSYNC. He would dance at the drop <laughs> of a hat. God, I miss him. Um, all right, let's get into our picks of the week. Jasmine, I think you're up first. I am. My pick of the week this week is Iron Man Hellcat, annual number one. And the reason why I picked it is because this book kind of snuck up on me. Like, I was, you've been following the Iron Man books, like, you know, you've, been well aware of about how Patsy Walker is involved in the world of Tony Stark and you know that relationship that's been there so I was expecting something about that to kind of be the center of the story but this is like a, a secret Patsy Walker like mm -hmm. issue it's very much like she is at the center of this book her uh nemesis slash friend frenemy yeah frenemy like shows yeah. up in this book and immediately like the thing I love about like old school like romance books and like even like uh, some of the Patsy Walker books that have come before are it are just like the like the cattiness the like the pettiness between mm -hmm. the two girls or like any of the girls really. I love the sass. I love the like the competition. Like it's just funny. Like the things that they say to each other are just so wild. But I'm like I'm here for it. I'm just eating it all up. It's delicious. And that's what this book is. It, it takes place uh, with uh, Patsy going back home getting a, a property passed down to her from her mother. She's discovering all this, like, like where did this house come from? She's finding all these things. I thought it burned view. down. Yeah. Still like, she was like, how weird. Very weird. It seems eerily haunted. Like, it's still furnished, but, like, there's cobwebs everywhere. And, like, we do get a little bit of Iron Man. He comes in. Um, but let's just say there's a talking teddy bear halfway through this book that just changed the whole, like, mm. He's still an unsettling. I think he's like a he's like a rabbit. It's not. It's a stuffed it's animal. A, it's a rabbit. It's, yes, it's, it is a it's rabbit. It's not. It's not pleasant, is what I'm no. saying. When the when the rabbit talks. Um, but this book is written by Chris Cantwell, who's been doing the main Iron Man series, uh, with art by Rory Coleman, colors by Triona Farrell, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, um, and this book is just delicious. Like I said, it, it crept up on me. I did not expect it. I very much expected an Iron Man story, and it is. Like he's still involved in it. Um, their relationship is still in the center of, of what's what's been happening um, and in this book uh, as well. And so it's it's cool to see her own story that is not centered around Iron Man. Like it is her own individual story and he happens to be a character in that. As a Patsy fan, I was really delighted by how much of this was about her. Same. Agreed. Um, and anytime we get Hetty, I'm in. My queen implied Jewish queen Hetty Wolf 
rock star of my heart. I'm excited for just Iron Man fans to pick this up and then get a Patsy book. And then yes. that, like, me too, right? Oh, like, surprise, it's Hellcat. This character rules. And Her so, name was if, on the front. Um, all right, I've got the next pick of the week. It is She-Hulk number four, written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Luca Maresca, colors by Rico Renzi, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, got to give shout out to Russell Dodderman doing one of his, the costume variants that he's been doing. Um, so he's showing off uh, Jen Walters, aka She-Hulk, in, I don't know, there's probably 20 different versions of her mm-hmm. here and different costumes across the ages. It's terrific. We love Russell on this show. Um, also got to give shout out. I, I wish I want to know who chose she Hulk's t-shirt for this. Cause it's a Lila Cheney t-shirt. Yes. It's a, like a Lila Cheney tour shirt it says Lila live, which I'm all for love a Lila Cheney moment. It opens with uh, she Hulk and Titania getting their fight club on and gotta love that Volcana is there as well. Just being so like, she's like, let me fight. Let me fight. She is so much. She's like so much, uh, vim and vinegar here. She wants to get in there and mix it up. It's really funny. Then you get Ben Grimm coming in on stuff. Just, it is what I love about rainbow Rowell bringing these little interactions, these character moments that, are kind of unexpected and unusual for what you expect out of a book, but making them so simple and poignant and fun and uh, making you want more something she did a ton on runaway. So I'm glad we got that here. And that helps us propel into a whole bunch of other points here where we get to see a ton of cameos from various superheroes who come to Jen for, or come to She-Hulk for superhero legal stuff. And my, one of my favorite, Images here is Moon Knight sort of mm-hmm. pushing a plant yes. out of the way in her office. <laughs> it's very good. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this does go back to Jack of Hearts, a character I am not super duper familiar with, nor do I like super well, Wanda love. Wanda made him explode a long time ago. A long time. Yeah. only recently back, right? Yeah. Um, we're starting to dig a little bit deeper into what the hell has been going on with Jack leading to a great final two pages. I love the sound effect of clomp, 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 clomp growing um, as we go further down the page and Jack and Jen have to like turn around and then it ends on this big, wonderful cliffhanger where Jen, she hulks up and you get an off camera word balloon saying, Jack of hearts, I found you. So great way to like tease us for what's coming next. This issue's real good. All right, Connor, you're up. So I was very torn this week. Uh, you know, it was going to be X. I can't help myself. But I was very torn between Sabretooth, which I think is one of the most brilliant books Marvel's putting out right now, and X-Men Red. Uh, I am going to pick X-Men Red. This issue really hit for me. I think Al Ewing is firing on all cylinders. But X-Men Red this week is spinning out of the aftermath of number three, where Magneto, with a little assist from Sunspot, Defeated Tarn the Uncaring to win the Seat of Loss on the Great Ring of Araco. This issue is not an issue where a ton of stuff happens. It's mostly people sitting around talking. And to me, sometimes those are the most interesting issues, the sort of like calms before the storm. This is a jam issue with multiple artists. So it's written by Al Ewing with art by Juan Cabal, 
um, Andres Chenelet and M- Michael Santamaria. Uh, colors by Federico Blee. Lettering by VCs Ariana Marr, who is just one of the best doing it. Uh, great cover by Russell Dodderman and Matthew Wilson. Great variant covers. There's like a Touring Clark variant um, that's super great. I think two uh, Touring Clark variants. Torrens variants, like every time I see them on shelves, I'm like, yes. I oh, I know. That. It's like, I want that. Right. Yeah. Um, but so the big thing here is it's like three different stories that are done by the three different artists. One of them is the Great Ring convening without Storm because she is busy in one of the other stories. Magneto has to meet with all of them to discuss his new role. And we're finally digging into the... Araki's understanding of death and why they don't like Krakoan resurrection and why should we let you rule us when you fear death and and cheat essentially because they care a lot about not cheating which is why Iska was so offended last issue by Sunspot (laughs) I really loved uh this issue i i don't want to spoil the end of it if you haven't read it listeners but like magneto and storm make a choice that's very affirmative to prove to araco that they mean business about being part of their culture and uh it's a scary choice but i am intrigued to see where it goes and uh, i can't wait to see where this book goes going into judgment day and more importantly i think coming out of it so kudos to the whole team uh, and Stefano Caselli has been doing such incredible work on this book, issue to issue, that I just want to shout out the three artists who stepped in here for the jam because they all did a great job on this villain. Yeah, it's fun to get Juan Cabal back with mm-hmm. Al I love Juan. doing like, spacey stuff. You get yeah. a little Rich Rider in here. Which yeah, you is, get some Nova. Yes. Oh, yeah. All for that. And like, just there's like four panels of Rich and Aurora talking. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. I'm I want more of that in future issues. She tells him to hang around. Yeah. And he's like, I think I will. Uh, There's some (laughs) I think Al writes a hell of a Magneto and he's just been like his Magneto scares me. His Magneto is. Oh, really? See, I'm just like, that's my father. Like I his Magneto. I love the way he writes Magneto. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, all right, we're going to get into our, um, our the rest of the books and give out some awards. But speaking of awards, let's talk about them. Jasmine, where are we with awards? Last week we had the fine, but I'm taking my bacon award that came from the Young Avengers story in Marvel's Voices Pride number one that came out last week. Um, it was my girl, America Chavez, who took her bacon and went on to fight the mission because, but like was still like, no, I'm taking my bacon with me because it's important. Mm-hmm. The first person who reached out to us was Abigail Frey. Thanks for the email. And in Abigail's email read, Young Avengers was the first comic I ever read, and I was so excited for the reboot. Love these characters. Hope I'm on time. My shop literally just opened, LOL. (laughs) Just walked out and opened the book to this page. Love them so much. Well, and I hope Abigail's excited about the uh, Young Avengers Infinity comic arc that was just announced by Anthony Oliveira, which I'm excited about. Very pumped. Um, But we have some honorable benches as well. We have Mountain Meg, who also probably only a couple minutes after Abigail uh, submitted through Twitter. And then we also had Karis Pollard, who also... Uh, found it in Marvel's Voices Pride, number one. Indeed. Uh, so that leads us to what will this week's award name be, Jess? All right, guys. Um, sticking with the food theme, mm-hmm. this one stuck out to me right away. And I'm going to go with the Holy Beans and Weenies Award. 
Um, so if you find that in one of the comics from this week, feel free to tweet at us or email us at pullist at marvel.com or you can tweet us using the Marvel's Pullist hashtag. Yeah. And if you're among the first, uh, keep your DMs open, keep your emails primed and ready because I'll write back to you. All right, let's get into things because we've got a lot of books to talk so about this books. week. There's <laughs> like, I think it was 19 total issues. So uh, let's jump in with Avengers number 57. And I, I, look, I could have picked this one because I love alternate universe stories. I love big, weird war stories. And this is a big, weird war story. I think I want to give my Holy Beans and Weenies award to uh, like a, I want to just call it a meat gun, a very David Cronenberg. I literally have meat gun written in my notes. Like that was like the one thing I have it underlined. That I'm is like, my one note about this issue also is I wrote meat gun. Yeah. Meat gun. Uh, I love Existence, the David Cronenberg film. Everybody go watch that. Mm-hmm. It's got meat guns in it as well. Um, but uh, there's there's some weird stuff in here, especially I, I dig the last page and the team that shows up therein. Next up, we have Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number two. When you first pick up this book, the first thing you're going to see on the cover is Deadpool uh, alongside Sam Wilson. You're going to be like, that's an interesting choice. Like, I you, I don't think I've ever read a story where they're working together in a, in a book. And immediately when you get thrown into it, you know why he's in this book or like you you see it. And I think it's really cool because last week we got Wolverine teaming up or we've had a couple of stories with Wolverine teaming up with Deadpool from uh, Ben Percy's run. And it's cool to see that side. Of, of Deadpool where he's like very much the comedic humor but here like you get to see more of his like tactical side of it which I thought was pretty fascinating but I want to give my holy beans and weenies award to Joaquin Torres who is Falcon and I'm really really interested to see where they're going to go with this story because it started in the last issue and it's been kind of happening in the background but he's having to deal with a lot of like difficult decisions and he's trying to be like a good superhero he's trying to be like his his uh mentor but also having to like butt heads with the system with like, you know, w- his own beliefs and his own uh, morals. And I'm very fascinated where it's going. Uh, that brings us to Iron Cat number one. This is Jed McKay continuing the Black Cat story from the Black Cat solo, which I really loved that book. I was sad to see it end. And I'm glad that the story is continuing. Um, this is very much a new status quo in the sense that it's establishing what this title is going to be about, which seems to be an Iron Man Black Cat team up to fight the new character, Iron Cat, who is who has an interesting history with Felicia. Um, and I'm excited about that. I, I My Holy Beans and Weenies Award here actually goes to Tony Stark. Uh, I'm not a Tony Stark person, typically. Uh, which is why I was thrilled to see Patsy get the spotlight in that annual. Um, but I really, he made me laugh and smile here. Also, shout out to Pere Perez, just friggin' like that opening image. It's gorgeous. Of, the whole issue is stunning. Oh, it, it is stunning. Stunning continues to be so good. Everybody go read Spider Woman and see all of Perry's art from the last two years. All right. We got to move on to Mech Strike Monster Hunters number one. We get big mechs, big monsters, big action in here. I'm going to give my Holy Beans and Weenies award to a page in here in which Dr. Doom is talking with Venom, Loki, and Osborne. And he's like, here's my plan. Let's talk about it. And they're all like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but by the end, the line just says, 
Doom was not asking. And I I just love Doom being Doom and Doom and Doom stuff. That brings us to Sabretooth by Victor Laval and Leonard Kirk. As I was saying, love this series, loved this issue. Uh, this is number four. We are coming up on the big climax, which promises to be exciting. As a big Krakoa partisan, I also like the stuff that digs into how nation building can compromise you morally and the bad things that people do in the name of safety for the nation, et cetera, et cetera. I think this book is a really strong critique that doesn't condemn the setting, but does ask a lot of questions that need to be asked in really smart ways. I'm going to give my Holy Beans and Weenies award to the very surprisingly charming family dinner sequence that takes place in the dreamscape at Sabretooth's childhood home, which is not a charming place if you've read any of Sabretooth's backstory. But there's a nice moment where all of the exiles in the hole are like sitting around a table just like having a chat about what motivates them and i find there's like a lot of meat on the table because Sabretooth's a predator um and uh, i just thought it was like a remarkably sweet little scene in the middle of a book that's been pretty grim all right next up we have spider-man 2099 exodus number three i have to give my holy beans and weenies award to this new iteration of avengers uh that are presented in this book mm-hmm. mostly because like like, I'm also a big fan of seeing the new variations of characters, but, like, usually when people create or, like, when we see a future version of the Avengers, we rarely get to see new characters who we've never seen in the Avengers be on the team. Like, I distinctly remember about Danny Cage being, like, Captain America in, like, previous books. And in here, we get new versions of Wave and Arrow, which I thought were so stunning. And, like, the way that they're depicted, their outfits, uh, like, who they are, where they're from is just awesome. And I'm here for it. I want to see more. Next up, we have Star Wars Darth Vader number 24. And just like the last Star Wars book, I'm sorry, Ryan, I have to give my Holy Beans and Weenies Award to Sabe, who comes in like wearing, like she decides to team up with Vader in this book and just watching them team up together and like having all the memories rush back from like, we're talking like the like prequel trilogy uh, and like just the fact that they both love Padme so much. And that's like the connection that they like are sharing here is awesome but also Sabe is like decked out in empire gear and she even is like i'm like i did this because i this is the only way you would work with me but like whatever let's just go and let, let's get the governor but i love her she's so she's such a badass in this book yeah um all right yeah we've got four star wars books this week the second one is star wars dr afra number 21 I am torn because I want to give my Holy Beans and Weenies Award to the last image, but it's a big old spoiler. Uh, that last page, I was like, hell yeah. It's a good uh, splash. Alyssa Wong <laughs> doing exactly what I want them to do uh, with this, with these characters and with this story, um, but also probably going to break everybody's hearts uh, a million times more. But I also want to give it, I'm actually going to officially give my award to the opening line here, which is just, I've made a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what that means for the entirety of the issue. Mm-hmm. All right. Up next is Star Wars Han Solo and Chewbacca number three. Um, there's dad stuff going on and there's Han and Chewie and uh, Greedo and, and things like that. But I'm going to give my Holy Beans and Weenies award to how this issue threaded into some of the other things that have been going on in the Star Wars titles lately, like the Crimson Rain stuff, how mm-hmm. that completely unexpected to me 
threaded right into this. And there's a scene that we see from one perspective, which we've seen from another perspective in previous, it was either two weeks ago or three weeks ago in another Star Wars book, which I was like, huh, I like how they did that. That is neat. I love that. All right. Next up, we have Star Wars Obi-Wan number two, which very much like filled in this like desire to get more of Qui-Gon Jinn that I've had Mm. very lately for no particular reason. This book takes place, it's pretty much Obi-Wan kind of like recollecting some of his memories while he's on Tatooine, jotting down some of his like stories in his journal, uh, awaiting a storm that's about to hit. And in it, in this issue, we get a story where it's, it takes place, it seems like before Phantom Menace, um, where he is Qui-Gon's Padawan and like they're going to infiltrate this place and they wear the most, I don't know how to describe them, they like very fashionable uh, I think they're called macro binoculars to see on this planet. And there is one page. There's a splash page where it's very like, I don't want to spoil it. Cause it like, when I saw it, I was like, Whoa, like they need to fight this thing in the middle of the dark. Like crazy. That that's, who's going to get my holy beans and weenies award. <laughs> Up next is Thor lightning and lament. Number one. Um, it is just an old school classic style Thor title. I'm giving my holy beans and weenies award to yeah, boy, Todd Knock. Love us some Todd coming in here. Just Killed it. so much detail as he does. He gets those old school vibes. He's He's got, you know, big Odin in his giant armor and, and Thor and classic Sif look. And... I was loving the Lady Sif look. I, I love that say, costume. It's my favorite. I love her. Great costume. Um, so this is one of the like the classic style books written by Ralph Macchio, longtime Marvel editors. Well, that takes us to The Variants by Gail Simone and Phil Noto. Phil, as always, draws gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Um, this is a Jessica Jones series that deals with Jessica encountering. It's kind of sliding doors is the vibe I'm getting, where it's like these are all of the lives that could have happened to Jessica Jones. Not a ton has been explained yet in this first issue, but there's some pretty compelling stuff Uh with a character who, like Jessica, was victimized by Zebediah Kilgrave, the Purple Man, and the idea that even though the Purple Man is dead, his influence might linger, which is a very scary idea if you're someone like Jessica who thinks she's freed herself of that. Um, My Holy Beans and Weenies Award goes to that moment, really, between the two women at the... uh, Because I was like, holy swear word, like... Yes. And there's a lot of other reveals that happen in this book, too, that just like, I'm just like, what? Oh, my God. All right. Next up, we have Venom Lethal Protector number three. And in this issue, essentially what's what's going on is it's the third issue in the series. We realize that, like, the sound weakness that Venom has is an issue. We try to resolve that here. But the resolution to it is what I'm going to award my the Holy Beans and Weenies Award because what ends up happening is like, yes, he is now like protected from sound, but the like side effect to it is so funny. And it's just like a silly little like gag, but I, I enjoyed it. Like I ate that up. All right, we've got Wolverine patch number three, which is uh, just a, an old school tale uh, by Wolverine legend Larry Hama coming in here. Uh, we love us some patch. And there's there's some extreme violence in here. Andrea DeVito just shows Wolverine letting loose, which, you know, it's a Wolverine book. 
Well, and it's a Larry Hama Wolverine book. It's like we're go we're taking it back to the nineties, honey. Yeah. Like it's so there's be, like claws yeah. going through multiple people's heads at the same time, stuff like that. Popped claws through bodies. All that said, I am giving my Holy Beans and Weenies award to a panel towards the end of the book, which is a silent panel in which Wolverine is holding a child that he has saved, sitting next to the kid's parents, and then the 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 kid's mom is holding Wolverine's hand and with the dad in the middle, and it's just it is a it's a beautiful panel. It is a wonderful sentiment. It is silent. It is everything. You've got all this big action and intrigue and all kinds of stuff going on. You get this moment, and it means so much. And it is a reminder why these creators are as damn good as they are. Sometimes there are moments that really underline the visual storytelling element of this medium and what's so special about it. And that's a great example of that. Yeah. Um, all right. Last book for me this week is excellent. Number four. Man, this book is so weird and so silly and so like <laughs> just making fun of everything and having a good time. It is uh, Peter Milligan and the All Reds doing their thing. I'm going to give my Holy Beans and Weenies award to a an insert panel towards the end of the book, which is a character literally wringing their hands and like with this maniacal grin on their face. And it is so over the top, but intentionally so. And I just, I got such a kick out of the way the character delivered their line and the way they look. And it's, but you could tell that like Mike and Peter and Laura are having fun. So our last issue for the week is X-Force 29, The Hungry Mind. This is a Ben Percy joint with Robert Gill on art and Guru EFX on colors. Um, this is an issue that focuses on Quentin Choir. So if you're a Quentin Choir head, you might enjoy that a great deal. It seems like this is the much promised big character development for Quentin that Percy has been teasing for a while this year. Uh, this continues the rampage of the self-aware Cerebro unit Cerebrax on Krakoa. It is devouring people and stealing their powers and becoming stronger and stronger. It is pretty gross, horrible little helmet guy. Um, <laughs> I love it, that he's a little helmet guy. He is a little helmet guy. I mean, and, like wrong. it opens with Wolverine like all messed up, like his bones are all like Ugh. broken and shattered. And he's like, it ate Polaris, it ate Polaris, and now my bones are all, like, because it could just, Cerebrax can now just jumble them up. But that leads to my holy beans and weenie's word for this issue, which is that Domino calls in to Sage, a.k.a. Tessa, one of my favorite X-Men supporting characters, who is sort of at base doing her Sage thing. And Domino says, you know, Wolverine is out, claws down. And Sage says, and feel free to bleep me here, are you kidding me and And they're like wait did you swear since when do you swear and sage says i swear i do that sometimes the doctor says when and sage says when wolverine is benched and (laughs) i just liked that because you would expect yes more of like a holy beans and weenies kind of moment from sage here but instead you just get an f-bomb because she's had it officially with this whole cerebrax thing going on uh, on to Marvel Unlimited. We're going to talk about the new Infinity Comics. Those are our scrolling comics that you can read exclusively on Marvel Unlimited. There's a great issue of X-Men Unlimited this week because it is a Jubilee issue. X-Men wow. Unlimited Infinity Comic number 41. Get this. It ties in perfectly with our reading club, with the conversations yeah. today because it's called Birthday Side Quest. It's Jubilee's birthday. So what better way to celebrate than with the rest of the Generation X team in an escape room? 
only nobody else seems quite as excited to spend time together as Jubilee is, maybe it's time to let old friendships go. Or maybe not, as the escape room starts actively trying to kill them, the former teammates will have to band together just to make it out alive. Written and drawn by Jason Lowe, so we're very excited for oh, that. he's always so fun. Yeah. Um, and great primer if you read that. You read the Generation X comics that we are going to talk about in just a couple minutes. Then you get to read, go go start reading all the Jubilee books you can. You can also read a bunch of new books that are coming to MU, including Demon Days, Blood Feud number one, the last issue from uh, Captain America Iron Man, which is issue number five. Um, we also get Devil's Reign X-Men number three, which is... Uh, that is that the one where, with Emma and Spider-Man? Yes. It's an Gary Emma Duggan, solo. Phil like, Noto. It's, it's so, it's, yeah, it's Doug and Noto. It's so good. So, so good. And then uh, we also are, are a couple of other new number ones, uh, Venom Lethal Protector number one and Wolverine Patch number one. Pretty cool. Over on the collection side, lots of stuff. I mentioned omnibuses. And you got What If, the original Marvel series, Omnibus, Volumes 1 and 2. Can I also point out the fact that there are a lot of Thor and Ms. Marvel books coming out uh, this week, or collections as well. We have a Jane Foster, uh, Saga of Valkyrie. Uh, we have Thor, the Saga of Gore, the God Butcher. And then Ms. Marvel, Beyond the Limit by Samira Ahmed is out this week. All right. That is great for all the comics uh, that are on your digital apps and on your local comic shop. Let's dive into our reading club. Jasmine, once again, tee us up. We are talking to Steve Fox, who is the current writer of X-Men 92, House of 92, which is a retelling of the House of X, Powers of 10 story that takes place in the 92 version of the X-Men. Really fun stuff. We're going to be talking about Gen X and Jubilee. So stay tuned. All right, Ryan, are you ready for this? I'm so ready. Connor, are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. All right, well, we have on the show Steve Fox, who is the current writer of House of X92. And we're going to be talking about Generation X, issues number 26 and 27. How's it going, Steve? It's going great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for jumping on with us. This is awesome. Steve, were, was this your favorite part of Generation X, or why did you choose these for us to talk about? Well, I chose these because there's a nice Jubilee focus in these issues, and, uh, you know, spoiler alert, but she's kind of <laughs> kind of a major point of uh, X-Men 92, House of 92. Um, I also realized after choosing them and rereading them that I, I, I picked extremely inaccessible issues. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I did think it was funny you dropped us right in the middle of Operation Zero Tolerance, yes. which is not only a confusing <laughs> X-Men event, but like also a confusing X-Men event that most people don't reread very often. But you still get a nice little Jubilee uh, story out of it, which continues a few issues past this, but then we really get into Operation Zero Tolerance territory, and we would have been reading like 48 issues. And to we would have had it. to get into the Monet is two people thing. It would have been... Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Steve, before we, we really get into these issues, I wanted to talk to you about like your history with the X books and like, or even just in general with comics. Like, where did did you grow up going to a comic shop? Did you, at what point in your I guess like comic fandom did you get into it? Uh, like, what age? Yeah, no, I mean, Jordan White asked me if I wanted to write the X Men, and I was like, who are those? I guess I can look up on it. <laughs> um, it like, if there's really nothing better available, no, I'm just kidding. Um. When I was probably two or three years old, uh, the 
toy biz toy line started coming out um and i have like a very vivid memory of buying the garrison kane action figure off of a, mm. a peg at, at a toys r us so hell yeah yeah well so that was my very first introduction but it, it lined up really closely with uh, going into a vhs section of a local <laughs> again i'm only saying words that don't mean anything <laughs> to, to people under 30 um, no, VHS. I, like no wonder you're working on a retro book. Yeah. They're like, they, they said X-Men 92. Yes. We can do that. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I, I got a VHS of pride of the X-Men, which is the, the pilot that right. um, was put together before X-Men animated series by a lot of the same people, um, but with a very different approach. And I just, well, I was going to say I, I wore it out as a kid, but it's in full working order. And then I started tracking down the comics pretty much right away, and I've been an uninterrupted X-Men reader ever since. Uh, everything wow. that's come out since 94, 95, I read as it was coming out. And a couple of years ago, I started a full chronological reread, and I'm back up to 1993. Um, wow. so about to get within, rough. Yeah. <laughs> but so in, in the next couple of years, I'll, I'll be able to, like, legitimately say i've read all x-men comic books that's, that's fine let's get into generation x a little bit these are issues 26 27 uh written by scott labdell art on the first issue by joe bennett and joe pimentel and then uh chris Pachalo with pop mahan on 27 colors by marie javins and inks by alve with scott Hanna. letters by richard starkings and comic craft and as we mentioned these were released in february and march of 1997 I know you picked it because of Jubilee, but like I'm curious, like what, why these two particular issues? Like what, what about it is it that made you pick them for this? Well, she gets isolated from the team, um, and it has kind of a focus on Jubilee's strength and attitude, and uh, you know, one of the dynamics of Generation X, and this is something that Kitty Pride kind of had with the New Mutants, is that a younger member of the X Men who starts with the X Men then gets thrown in with other people their own age and you know with kitty it didn't stick she never stayed with the she refused. yeah she was like i'm not doing this but jubilee does move off to the teen team um but she's the only one who comes with that added experience of having already gone on adventures with wolverine and psylocke and everybody else so it's it kind of shows how yes she went from a main cast member to part of this ensemble but she still has opportunities to break out and show that she is more experienced that she's been through more stuff um, and there's even a little bit of a, a callback to when bishop first showed up he makes some sort of reference to jubilee being like the last x-man which right. you know n never really plays into that much because nope, there was no other x-men that were created afterwards thankfully yeah. <laughs> bishop's timeline has been averted well i don't think he meant the last to join i, I think know, he I meant know. the last to live, to live. Yeah. yeah um but i've always one of, like actually one of the things that has always disappointed me a little bit about jubilee's trajectory is that so much was set up by bishop and by other characters in this period where it was like one day jubilee is going to be an enormously powerful character uh and then i don't feel like it really went there and then you know she, she lost her powers in the decimation and all that stuff and i remember feeling like the the spark that is lit here never really got to fully explode into plasmic firework bursts or whatever they're called I come in. <laughs> there you go now you and that's now you've made my... her the center of the entire universe in your exactly I'm, I'm making up for it in my out of continuity five issue miniseries talking about it 
on a more like philosophical level, you know, I think one of the things that's unique to the X-Men among all comic franchises is that there's almost always a younger point of view character. Mm-hmm. You know, we go from Kitty to Jubilee to Marrow, Armor, Pixie. You know, there's almost always someone there, you know, a friend of Wolverine who's Angel like... Angel Salvador and Morrison. Yeah, absolutely. To kind of help introduce you to the team, which is not something you get in most other superpowered teams. And I think it's because it's unique to the structure of the X-Men. What always drew me to the X-Men as a kid is that you can hit puberty and find out, oh, I right. could be an X-Man. I don't have right. to be in an, a, a radioactive accident or like be born a god or find some magic ring. Like this is something that could conceivably happen to anybody. And there are certainly times where they kind of just pick a random person off the street and make them an X-Man. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, we found you in the sewer. Would you like to be a superhero? <laughs> and so I think philosophically, though, for a number of reasons, Jubilee is the one who kind of got stuck and i think it's because she is so 90s i mean she was created in the 80s but she's so 90s and she is so tied to her young persona whereas kitty yes she was introduced as a 13 year old and there's a lot of plots that involve her being younger and immature but her whole story from the beginning is kind of about her growing up Mm -hmm. and becoming more and more competent and becoming more and more sure of herself and even as a kid, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I happen to be like a genius hacker and all she's these like other things. She's like a bunch of kids already to begin yeah. with. She's like but a also, like, you kid. get you get like early stories, like Days of Future Past, where you get to see a future yes. version of see her. See her at and, 45, yes, right. And yeah. you're like, okay, I got it. Like, she's going to be a big deal. Yeah, she was always ridden with that kind of, like, growth path going on. But yeah, so Jubilee ended up kind of tied, I think, to her younger persona because where Kitty when she branches off from the X-Men, she goes to Excalibur with other adults and has pretty adult adventures. Jubilee branches off to the teen team. And then like Connor said, you know, she loses her power. She becomes a vampire. She becomes a surrogate mom. There's I love been... the vampire thing. I can't lie. I'm, I'm the one, <laughs> I am the one person who thought vampire. Cause here's the thing. If she's going to be 16 or 17 forever, then make her a vampire. Cause that's funny. <laughs> However you feel about the vamp- vampirism, I just think for whatever reason, and you know, there have been lots of awesome Jubilee stories. I loved reading her in Excalibur. I'm super excited for Exterminators. I loved Christina Strain um, and Amilcar Pena's uh, mm. Generation X. Like there have been great Jubilee stories, but I think kind of in the public consciousness, she's tied to being a borderline annoying preteen in the 90s. She's she Bart didn't... Simpson. It's yeah, really she... hard for her to escape being Bart Simpson. Yeah, and I've said that on, on other podcasts. She is kind of like the Bart Simpson of the X-Men and with all the cool stuff that entails, but also the the difficulty in aging her past that. Um, so I love this era where there was kind of this attempt made to like figure out what the next step is going to be for Jubilee and place her with peers and see if we can move beyond like roller skating mall rat at all times. Um, But this storyline in in particular shows that like, yes, she is bratty and funny and snarky, but she's also very capable. Yeah. She really is a badass in this story. And first initially in a very physical confrontation where she's like actually fighting, but then also her sort of psychological metal when she's being tortured by Bastion uh, and Daria, who's a character I had completely forgotten about, but who's kind of an interesting precursor to Karima Shapandar, um, right down to her being a prime sentinel with a bindi, which feels like it is a similar motif to kind of Karima later. 
Yeah, I was going to say the callback to the issue where um, Jubilee watches Ileana die and, and responds to that with the other X-Men. That was such a pivotal moment in Jubilee's history because she does get introduced as this kind of like weird bratty sidekick. And like, I, I totally understand having read the comics in order chronologically, like how she could grate on some readers because she's so different than Kitty was like, it's just such a different perspective. But when you get to that Ileana issue, you do really see kind of the full roundedness of her character and she drops the facade a little bit. And like, there's also an issue right around then where um, Charles has regained the ability to walk yes. and Jubilee finds him as it's starting to wear off. Mm. That, and that's they, the right after execution. At the end of execution. Yeah. Just covered yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I was really like, sweet... I know the scene. I remember yeah. like, very <laughs> recently reading this. Yeah. So those, those are kind of like the one, two punch of, uh, I think humanizing Jubilee and showing that like, yeah, she's funny. She's snarky. She's like the sidekick to Wolverine, but she does have a lot of potential for, for emotional depth. There's a an issue of what if that's a year before this Generation X story that we're talking about. It's issue 87 of what if, which I read and read and read and read and read as a kid. It is, and it's set in when Sabretooth was captive in uh, in the mansion. Oh, yeah, and he breaks out. Everything goes down, and he breaks out, and he like murders his way through the mansion. And Jubilee is the one who has to stop him. And it's one of my favorite comics probably period i haven't read it in a couple of years it's on my spinner rack behind me but to me that painted a, a a lot of the way i picture jubilee even though it's it's an alternate reality and it's a what if but like her as this like you know she's she's still wisecracking she's still trying to handle things but she's she is a, a like a real heart of the x-men she is a force and she stands up to a terrifying monster and and is able to like cry but also save the day and to me that that is one of the reasons why i've always loved jubilee and and like i keep that i think it's part of the subconscious of why i'm such a, a like i will always be a big jubes fan because i know that she's look we're talking about these characters like she's got that potential right and it's right. there i was gonna i was gonna mention like you guys were talking about how well-rounded like you've gotten to see Jubilee be, but I would argue that this, this, the first issue of this collection for sure, like 26, when you see her trying to escape and fighting her way out, she's still mm -hmm. like trying to take care of the people who she's like knocked out. Like she's checking yeah. in on them, making sure they're okay. She like making sure they're not dead. She gives that um, big at CPR. Right. And it's just like, <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever seen that in a superhero book like that, especially if they're escaping from a facility. Like I was just blown away by that. Um, and then like you get that right after, or, and then like, the following issue you get the interrogation scene where you see how mm -hmm. just like badass she is and it's just like that one-two punch of not only am i a hero and badass and can escape this thing but I, I also like i can hold my own and i'm smart and i think some of that street smartness comes here where like they start questioning yes when they bring in the wolverine of it all like she's just like no she's like, nice try dude that's <laughs> not wolverine like i yeah. know wolverine and you sir are no Wolverine. like that's sort of the vibe but it also is very characterizing of bastion who i think is a hit or miss villain but here it really hits and one of the reasons is that we see the compassion that jubilee shows for this person who has tried to kill her and bastion notices it and is just as surprised as we are and it's like right. wow that's interesting but whereas we go what a cool girl he's like that's weakness i can exploit and like drags her off to torture her and you're kind of like <laughs> okay cool got it i get what your deal is now like that I got, you like, know 
major Darth Vader vibes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In in these two issues where I'm like, wow, he's very, like... On the, much on the dark side here. I love the like beautiful moral simplicity of of Bastion, a, a hyper advanced robot watching a hero save someone and being like, "I am aghast. Why, why would, would you do that? Why right. would a hero yeah. save a human being? <laughs> Fascinating, especially <laughs> one that's trying to kill them. Like, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is this thing called heroism? Like, it's very that in a way that's fun. Well, you know, we were talking about that first page of issue 26 and, and Connor, you had a very visceral reaction to it um, where we see <laughs> Husk and her eyes are lolling back in her head. And, you know, part of her her skin is like the, the secondary skin is there and it looks it is so gross, so awful. Such a great opening page. It I have so Husk difficulties generally. Like this is an issue I have <laughs> with this character is that she gives me the heebie-jeebies. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, it certainly sets the tone, right? It's like they are, these kids are falling apart. Like, and you really. Yeah, and then you get to like skin and you see him just like. Melting. Right, like literally (laughs) melting. And you have like both M and yeah, Chamber who are trying. And like, that was the other thing too. Like watching Chamber, it was like, every time I see Chamber, I just, my brain doesn't understand how his power works Mm -hmm. or like how his like chest and mouth are like one. And so, like, when you see his, like, mouth flaps in, like, some of He's those like, panels, yeah, You're I'm like, just oh, like, wow. like, talk about the heebie-jeebies. Like, that's where, like, I get them, because I'm just like, I, how is your skin not on fire? Like, yeah, what is I was going the, on there? And the contrast with M, Monet is, like, the most perfect-looking person yeah. there is, right? And it's just so, like, let me just continue to rip off the skin of <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, this is a great issue for Monet. I mean, again, it's the twins secretly, but don't worry about it. I think that the fact that she is, like, a super intellect in the way that Moira or Reed Richards or one of those characters is is something that's been de-emphasized with her and it would be nice to see a little more of that but it also is just nice to see her caring about these people because she puts up such a front of never caring about them and then when she's like oh these people are gonna die she gets with the program very quickly because as much as she might give them and act like above them she's not a monster, a monster yeah. you know she's just kind of mean but like she doesn't want anybody to die right chamber's always been one of my favorite characters because like connor said earlier i i really love the visual freaks like i like very obvious hard to hide mutations i like i like it to be front and center and chamber's such a good example of that because he's a handsome young man whose face blows off however I do not like when artists really accentuate the flaps. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see the flaps. I don't want to see that. Give me the flame. Obscure it. Give me the chic scarf. Do the, you know. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. Joe Bennett really leans into the the flappiness of the uh, You can almost hear them through the panel. Well, you can also see that, like, the the cyanic flame is, like, shooting out of his jaw and mouth, Mm -hmm. which I don't think about most of the time with him, even though obviously that is exactly what's happening. But it looks like he's going, which is like, <laughs> it's just much more visceral. It's very like, Zoidberg. Yes, it is yes. very Zoidberg. Very. Especially uh, even they're on the sea. It's like, look at them. <laughs> Chamber, homeowner. I, lo- I love it. I want more, more flaps. Give us <laughs> more flaps. I'm here for flaps. Chamber, colon, flaps. That's the limited series. You got you to gotta do, Steve. Make it happen, Jordan. <laughs> Listen, from your lips to his ears. From your lips, flat, from chamber. your yeah, yeah from your say, face right? flaps, know, the whole jaw got blown off. <laughs> um, well, let's wrap up this issue. We, as, as we mentioned, this issue ends with Jubilee. You know, throughout the course of it, she's trying to escape the facility. She 
is like pure hero. She uh, she saves the life of someone who was just trying to kill her. But we get that escape moment, and then, damn, she falls out into the snow. Just I love Jesus. that that page because like she's falling, like she's falling, and then like in the captions you start seeing things like oh like the professor's taught her to like go limp in moments like this or like mm-hmm. ignore the like the cold air that's blowing in your face and like that rush and i'm like it's really cool to see like her inner thoughts as it's happening like she's like oh i know how to survive this and again it just shows you again like she is prepared like she knows her her stuff like she's a hero throughout this issue there's good stuff about like them actually learning because we all like to joke that they never like go to class at Xavier's <laughs> but Monet and Chamber talk about like things they learned in biology class like we mm-hmm. do get a sense here of it is a school we just don't see classes because that would be boring in a 20 page comic but they all clearly have learned things Monet and Chamber have internalized things Sean and Emma have taught them and Jubilee has internalized things that Emma and Sean and Charles have taught right. her and it's an interesting bit there the one last thing i want to say about this issue before we move to the next i don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys have it right in front of you but the when you get the final shot of the facility all i can see is a sewing machine oh my god yes it looks exactly like a sewing machine machine. holy cow my boyfriend is a cosplayer and a a fashion designer so i'm around them often but i was like no this is literally just a sewing machine (laughs) that's amazing i just like to imagine bennett was just there and he's looking around sees a sewing machine Okay. How can you not? <laughs> that's yeah. where. That's how. Ba- that's Bastion uses that to make his little jumpsuits. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Takes a giant machine. Just yeah. To make it. <laughs> They're very high-end materials. So fair. So let's get into the next issue then. One of the things that stood out to me in this issue, because now we we realize, like you just said, Connor, uh, Jubilee is back in uh, the hands of Bastion. He's very much torturing her in this like weird hologram esque chamber thing that's not a chamber but and not chamber the gen x character yes clear. <laughs> yes um but like she can't see anything outside of this like little hologram but i thought one of the interesting things like the thing that stood out to me the most was this the bordering in in this issue mm-hmm. like you see the x-men logo over and over and over again that was something that like i haven't seen before and i'm just like curious how aware of it you guys were or if like you remember that type of stuff from this era or how much of it like a relic of this era it was i would say like the non-traditional gutters and stuff is something they were experimenting with more in the 90s uh because it was part of the like coming out of the jim lee and image guys era liefeld and all of that there was this idea that comics should be sort of art first and kinetic energy first and so you would get a lot of let's do something a little weird with these panels, you know, like as opposed to the grid that you'd be used to in a 60s or 70s or 80s comic. And I think Bachalo in particular would would always do fun stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look even throughout He's the rest creative. of this issue, super creative. There are, you know, there are pages where he does use the X border, you know, around various panels in between panel structures, but also some of the panels are just rounded off for whatever reason it's just it's a it's a little choice but it's it's something interesting that like it your eye just changes the way it feels around it and it goes from there there's some that you know just completely break into you know going to the the bottom of the page going out of panel borders and it's those things that uh you know there's the the scene where jubilee is kicking bastion and the panels are askew to sort of like show mm-hmm. that that feeling of like, you know, the the kick, thunk, thum, and, and everything feels, you know, like it's shaking around it. 
it's just really smart storytelling. And part of what I like about that is that the rounded panels to me suggest sort of the like computery it has like a computer screeny kind of vibe to me of like bastion and daria are robots who are analyzing this girl and then when you kick the robot the panels start getting stuttery and i think that that makes a lot of sense right it is it is a motif that's used like when we see that first page of wolverine Mm-hmm. Like that panel, Wolverine, that's where you start to get a lot of the rounded corners. And it does like, it's like, okay, we're looking at a screen. We're looking right at a screen right, right now. Right, yeah. It is like fascinating to see, like, this is a Jubilee issue. Like, I think mm-hmm. yes. more than anything else. And it's cool to see how much she's grown and like also just like the role she plays in the larger scheme of things for the X-Men. You get to see really all sides of Jubilee because, yeah, in the first issue that we talked about, she's busting out, she's got an oversized gun, she's, you know, rolling around and doing all these action scenes. In this issue, she's almost entirely bound up in this, like, science fiction straitjacket, and it's all her perseverance and her mm-hmm. personality and her mental um, strength and resilience. And the prior issue ends with that that narration we talked about where it's like, yeah, she learned this, she was taught this, But at the end of the day, she's still a child, but being a child and that childlike innocence might be what saves her. And that is what plays out in this issue is that she doesn't need her powers. She doesn't need physical training to be Jubilee and to hold on to that, that spark of hope and heroism that will see her through this conflict with Bastion. And I think, you know, without spoiling the remainder of X-Men 92, (laughs) that's kind of, you know, we get to see elements of this too. Like the Jubilee in my series with Salvin, Israel, and everyone else, she's lived previous lives, but she's not an adult. She's still a a preteen. Like she's very much a young child. Um, And so having that perspective instead of Moira's much colder and calculating perspective Mm -hmm. is what's been fun to play with with X-Men 92 and to really help set that apart from the Hickman stuff. Steve, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and for bringing us these two stories. Where can people find more about you? You can find me at stevefox.com. That's F-O-X-E, where I keep all my work updated. Um, And I am on Twitter at Steve underscore Fox. I just really hate Twitter and social media. (laughs) So you'll find announcements and updates and very little else. And some photos of my dog. And then, yeah, X-Men 92 is, is coming out now. Issue 3 will be out in July. And it just got announced that I am doing a brand new character for Edge of Spider-Verse later yeah. this year. So, so pumped. Yeah, the Web Weaver. To, the Web Weaver. You'll get to meet the Web Weaver who is one of, I, we're pretty sure, the first gay spider hero. Like openly gay spider hero. So super excited for that. Chris Anka designed his look. We have a very cool interior I'm artist who hasn't been announced yet. I'm trying to get my boyfriend to cosplay it and like make it before the issue comes out. Please, please. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited for people to meet Web Weaver. And actually, you're going to see me in some other Marvel related places before that, but it hasn't been announced yet. So Ooh. I can't I can't spoil that. And then um, Spider-Ham, not Spider-Man, <laughs> Spider-Ham 2 comes out later this year as well. So very excited about that. Um, I do those books with Shadia Amin over at Scholastic as part of mm-hmm. Marvel's partnership there. And it's just so much fun. Thanks again for joining us. This was this was awesome. This was so much fun. Thanks, Steve. Well, thank you all. Big thank you once again to Steve Fox. Go read damn comic books. That book is good. We've chosen it a couple of times. Am I right, yes. Jasmine? Yes. It is so funny. 
it's a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. That is about it, Connor. Once again, where can everybody find you? Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. You can find me online uh, on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find Cerebro at Cerebrocast on both of those apps and uh, also at Cerebrocast.com, which is the official landing page. And uh, I hope you survive the experience. I see what you did there. Oh. Yeah. Mm. All right. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And uh, Brad was going to get a Beans and Weenies uh, series of tattoos for his knuckles. Mm-hmm. But he, um, he put too many E's in the weenies when he was giving it to the tattoo artist. And they all got confused. And so he just has beans on both hands. Mm. It happens. I mean, double the beans. Beans, beans. Not enough weenies. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And I'm Connor. And this is Marvel. Your universe.